0: This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power and embrace your possibilities. Embrace your possibilities. possibilities. Hello there, this is Andrew Jobling and welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast for a very wonderful conversation with Phyllis Levitt. Phyllis is in the US and has just published a book called America in Therapy. She's a psychotherapist and she's got a mission to change a country. If you're not American and you think this is not relevant to you, trust me, this is relevant to every single person because she's not just talking about healing a country. She's talking about healing humans. She's talking about the ripple effect of that. She's talking about building strength and compassion and love and spreading that around the world. Obviously, she's in the US, so she's focused there. However, this podcast is going out around the world, so we're going to create a world in therapy And the bottom line of this is taking personal responsibility for being a healer, being the person that starts healing relationships and starts this ripple effect of healing and love. This is a wonderful conversation with Phyllis. You'll be absolutely inspired. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Phyllis Levitt. Hello, Phyllis.
1: How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thank you for having
0: me. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. It's great that we can connect on opposite sides of the world, isn't it? Totally. So it's evening for you, it's morning for me, and we're in different days. I'm in your future in case you weren't (laughs) sure. So if you want to know the lotto (laughs) numbers, just ask me. All right. So, how's the day been? Phyllis, what have you been up to today?
1: It's been great. I have been talking to a couple of publicists for my book and sending out some free copies of my ebook and just overall working on my book, which is what I do every day pretty
0: much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do lots of stuff, really. So you've just published your book called America in Therapy. That's right. And you're a speaker and you've got a podcast and you do lots of pretty cool stuff. You're a psychotherapist. So Phyllis, before we sort of dive into what we really want to talk about, tell us what is it that really excites you at the moment? What sort of gets you out of bed at doing what you do every day?
1: Yeah. You know, I think what really excites me and what I feel passionate about is that I just really love people and I love the earth and I would like to see it preserved. And, you know, I have three children, I have three grandchildren, and I would like them to inherit an earth that is healthier, more habitable, more welcoming, more loving, more tolerant, more peaceful That's what really lights me up. And all of my experience as a psychotherapist has, you know, shown me such a deep side of what it's like to be a human being. And my own work as an individual has shown me, you know, so many layers of what we need and what hurts us and what helps us and what heals us. And I want to bring that to national conversation. I don't know how you feel about your country, but in America, there's a lot of really amazing, beautiful things going on and incredible people doing wonderful work and especially, you know, helping other people. And there's a lot of violence and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of animosity. And, you know, and so I think it's just time to take a look at how we can heal.
0: Yeah. I love that. And just so you know, it's the same here. I think it's probably the same everywhere around the world. You said that you're trying to create a national change, but I think you and I are international. So we're starting an international movement. I think the reality is, Phyllis, being a human being is a tough gig. It's not easy being a human. Like Sometimes I just think I wish I was a dog.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I wish I was a flower. (laughs) Exactly. I I get up
0: every morning and I train and I live by the beach and I've got a few little dog mates. They love me. They see me from a distance and their whole body starts vibrating and they come and jump and lick. And I just think what a life as a dog assuming you're with a loving home. Yeah, yeah. You find joy in the simplest of things. You love people, you love attention, you love affection, you love to give affection. Dogs don't ruminate on whether they've been offended and even if they've had some kind of traumatic situation in their life, they're very quick to forgive and to love. Uh, And I think, wow, wouldn't it be easier if we were just animals? But we're not, we're humans and with that comes incredible a responsibility but also these challenges the emotions that we feel and how we can get hurt and we can get offended and how we can get traumatized and oh sometimes it's exhausting being me i don't know how you feel about you phyllis but i mean again this is a ripple effect and there's so many reasons why we behave the way we behave and then how that ripples and that affects societies and communities and countries and globally so yeah i get what you're saying
1: Oh, well, I just want to say the big difference between us and a dog and maybe any other creature on the earth, as far as I know, is that we create our environment. Animals and plants are responsive to the environment that they're in. And maybe by a plant dying and fertilizing the soil, they're creating the environment. But we're intentionally creating a very complex environment. And I think in some ways, what human beings have done over millennia is magnificent. You know, our intelligence and our creative capacity and our introspection and our looking into outer space and technologies and healing modalities and all of those things, like we're enormously, incredibly intelligent and creative. And some of what we've created is destroying us. And so- we're, I feel like we're at this sort of peak place in human evolution where we really have to choose what kind of environment we're going to continue to create. And what we create for humans, we're creating for all life on this yep. earth. And then going back to your word, a tremendous responsibility. And can we share with each other more consciousness about what we think is going to actually be survivable and sustainable?
0: And that's the key word is consciousness, isn't it? That mindfulness. Yes. Because at the end of the day, we're here for a purpose. I'm a Christian and believe that God created me for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. I'm not here yeah. by fluke. It's not luck, it's not a mistake. I'm not here just to provide carbon dioxide for the plants. I'm here for a a reason and therefore that I am here for a reason. There is that responsibility. And I also understand that the choices I make, the things I do, the words that I speak, the podcasts I put out, the books that I write, the stuff that I do is leaving an indelible imprint. On this earth that will be there Mm. long after i'm gone and i don't think people think about that i don't think people are conscious Mm. of the fact that they might say something just might come out of their mouth based on a reaction but don't understand where that's going to land and potentially the ripple effect of that comment or the action and i think politicians and global leaders are the worst the things they say doctors for example things like someone gets a diagnosis, like my mom got diagnosed many years ago. She's since passed, but diagnosed with cancer and told you've got probably a couple of years to live. Now she survived for 15 because she didn't believe it. But how many people actually then go on and believe what a doctor says or what a teacher says or what someone <laughs> of influence says? And the people that said the word didn't really understand the power of those words and the implications, not just for that person's life, but the ripple effect and the legacy impact of that as well.
1: 100%. And I think, you know, one of the purposes of my book, America and Therapy, is to really help people be aware of their impact, not only of our impact, but what has impacted us and what is impacting us for better or for worse, so that we can make better choices about what we put out into the world and know the effect that exactly like you said. And I'll just sort of say the opposite. When someone is loving and kind, or they just see you and they appreciate you, and they express some kind of appreciation or acknowledgement, it goes a long way. Totally. And we can all do that, and it's free.
0: It is free. That's that mindfulness again. That's being conscious, because it takes deliberateness to put that positive spin and that positive encouragement. But we don't need to be thinking at all just to throw out a critical comment. So it really requires, well, you've used the word consciousness before, and I think that's really the key word. We have to be conscious of what we're putting out and understand that right. there will be an ongoing ripple effect of whatever it is.
1: And I think the world of psychology is not the only world that talks about that. But I'm talking through that lens of psychology because that's you know what I have to offer at this moment. But I think the deep work that people do on going back and healing some of the negative parts of their own conditioning that are causing them pain and suffering today in their lives, as they heal that, then they're undoing the trance of whatever that negative conditioning is. And they stop putting so much of that out into the world and into their relationships. The whole idea of psychology today is to heal that negative conditioning. And what if we could bring that to a country, to an organization, to a group that has power? You know, that kind of introspection. Where did I come from? What conditioned me? What am I believing? Is it functional? Mm. What would I actually really like? To be believing about myself and embodying and expressing in the world. Yeah. Because in all the years that I've been a therapist and, and of all the people I know, you know, not clients, I've never met one person who wanted more hatred and more violence in their life. Not Because we don't. No. We all want love. We all want belonging. We all want to be provided for. We all want to feel valued. We all want conflict to be resolved in our lives without damage done. We want it to be resolved peacefully and come back together. And so those are the basic things that I want to say let's embody these as a country let's embody these values let's embody these goals. And then how do we do that? Yep. You know, can we take the tools of psychotherapy and apply them to larger groups? Of course we can.
0: Yeah. I want this conversation to be relevant for every single person listening and I know you're talking specifically about America as a nation in therapy but I think if we expand this conversation to the world in therapy because I don't think that's unreasonable. You walk in, let's just say, to an organization and a lot of people talk about a toxic workplace. Where they work is toxic. It's critical. There's high pressure. You've got to hit targets and stuff. If you were to trace that back, that organizational culture, you could probably trace it back to the behavior of one or two people. And if those I'm one or two happy. people change their behavior, the flow-on effect in the whole organization over time changes the culture of that entire organization. And so what I'm hearing you saying, fellas, is that you're talking about a nation. You're talking about the US. I live in Australia. Same thing. All I can do is what I can do. And if I can put out my positive, conscious, deliberate, positive thoughts and actions into the world, then there's going to be a flow on effect, which can start changing cultures, can start changing communities, organizations, countries. Because I think a lot of people go, yeah, America, that's someone else's problem. Or Australia, that's someone else's problem. It's not. It's all of our problem. It's all of our responsibility to be a part in healing a nation,
1: yeah. And I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I wrote my book and I called it American Therapy because, you know, I live in America and I'm familiar with what's going on here, but absolutely a hundred percent. If you took out the examples that I use about America and you just took the ideas that I'm talking about, they're absolutely global in their implication because we're really talking about human behavior. I'm talking about what happens to us when we have too much power and we don't know how to use it. When we've been overpowered and we feel powerless in life, you know, all the dynamics that I go into in detail apply everywhere. And we know this and we see this in the news, you know. So, yes.
0: Phyllis, let's have a quick break. It's been a wonderful introduction and I'm already inspired, but I'd like to hear a bit more about your journey leading you to this moment of wanting to make a global difference. So, let's have a quick break. The shedding of tears after a significant achievement, a meaningful moment, or purposeful pursuit is an indication of the powerful emotional joy we all strive for in our lives. What if there was a process for personal transformation that could lead to regular tears of joy moments? In Tears of Joy, Andrew
1: Jobling provides the simple steps that will predictably lead to many meaningful moments of significance, achievement, and well-being. This book offers a sure and certain pathway to transformation that lasts. To purchase Tears of Joy or any of Andrew's other books, go to andrewjobling.com.au.
0: Whereabouts in the US are you, Phyllis?
1: I am in Taos, New Mexico. New Mexico is in the southwest of the United States.
0: Southwest. Okay. So tell us a bit about your journey. Tell us a bit about your background, your history, what's led you to this place now where you're writing books and you're podcasting, you're speaking, you're creating this global ripple that's changing nations in the world.
1: Well, that would be my hope to be one voice of many, because I know there are many, many people who want to see change and who want to see us thrive. Yeah. So I think my journey, like so many people's journey, I became a psychotherapist because I had some trauma in my childhood and You know, when I grew up, nobody talked about psychology. And, you know, when I was in college, I started to hear about people going to a therapist, but it really had a stigma around it of like, there's something wrong with you and you should be able to figure it out yourself and you don't want to be that vulnerable. And, you know, we all were just trying to look good and survive in a much more external way. I went to one therapy session and I felt so exposed. I never went back. And basically what happened for me was I really didn't remember what happened to me, so I didn't know what was wrong. Yeah. I just had no clue.
0: So you didn't um, remember the trauma that you went through as a child?
1: didn't remember it at all. And then when I got married, I had three children and it really all came to a head. It was not a great marriage and stuff started to like bubble up from my unconscious, which I think is what happens to a lot of people. It's like our psyche tries to hold it down and hold it down and hold it down. And then it just can't anymore. And I started to have sort of flashbacks of memories. Anyway, long story short, I ended up in therapy and it was amazing. I mean, it was an incredibly deep, it was sometimes a scary and painful journey, but I always felt like I had support around me and I had a deep inner drive for the truth that was more powerful than what was uncomfortable about uncovering the truth. And I think a lot of people have that. We have just like this need to know the truth, whether an adopted person wants to know the truth of who their parents were, or we just want to understand ourselves better. So just to segue out of that. So it was an amazing healing journey that I went on and I felt like I kind of came out the other side.
0: Did the realization come to you what the trauma was? Made yeah. you comfortable to share that?
1: Yeah, it was sexual abuse in my early childhood. And then again, repeated. And I had really buried it all. And yeah. and I had like snippets. Lynn, that's not uncommon. I mean, I think when your psyche can't handle something, it just walls it off. Of course, but it no. doesn't go away. No. So that's what I was dealing with. And it was really, I guess I want to say this. I just watched this part of a series by Oprah that's about mental health. And she interviews a lot of different people. And one of the people that she interviewed was Lady Gaga. And I was so grateful that she interviewed someone who was a celebrity because Lady Gaga was absolutely outspoken about the pain of her trauma. I think she was sexually abused also. And I think it's important for people to know the legacy of pain from any kind of trauma, from any kind of abuse, from discrimination, from poverty, from trafficking, from all the ways that people get hurt by other people. The pain doesn't go away. And so what happened for me was I started to realize like there's millions of people around the world who have been traumatized, who have no relief from the trauma or they and or they have no way to heal from the trauma. And what happens to them? I think we have to ask ourselves what happens to those people, to us who are carrying around so much pain with no help and no relief. And what we know in the world of psychology is people become highly symptomatic. Yeah. I was lucky. I didn't become a rager or a drug addict. I think I was just fortunate. I just became very withdrawn. Yeah. And I became kind of a, high achiever. That was my way to cope. But many people, they become aggressive, they become raging, they become assaultive.
0: Well, they become sexually abusive as well. And I think a lot of people that perform those horrendous acts of sexual abuse on other people have probably been abused themselves in most cases.
1: Yes, absolutely. The legacy of abuse gets handed down one way or another. So you have people who act out, you have people who act in and, you you know, they become suicidal or they self-harm or they overdose or they hurt the people around them or both, or they become very passive and helpless because they've been so overpowered that they've lost the access to their own personal power and then they're easily manipulated or suppressed. And so You know, I see these as big waves of what we're looking at happening around the world. And I'll just talk in world terms, because everything that I'm saying really is in world terms. We see, you know, whole populations of people who have been just decimated. What do we think happens to their children who, or them who have survived, who their families have been murdered in front of them, or their places of worship have been bombed, or they have nowhere to live and they're migrants and nobody wants them? what do we think happens to them? Yeah, They suffer and they act out and they act in and they pass that legacy on to their children. And this is the environment we're all responsible for creating for humanity.
0: 100%. So this is, I think, the key question that I want to ask you, Phyllis, because there is this incredible perpetuation of abuse and trauma. We're seeing it. It's got to stop somewhere. And I think people listening to this, and this is, I think, a really key message is if you have been abused in any way, shape or form, or criticized, and as you feel that temptation or that need to then perpetuate it, that's when you need to stop and say, okay, if I keep this going, this is just creating a nation that's going to require more and more healing. So let me be the person that stops this generational perpetuation of trauma So, Mm. Phyllis, if someone's listening to this and they've experienced trauma in their life, abuse of some kind, and they want to be a better person, but the temptation and the tendency and the pull is so strong for them to self-medicate or to perpetuate that abuse, what do you say to them? How do you help them move through this and become someone who is going to actually perpetuate positive love, kindness, joy Mm. in the world?
1: Well, you know, the first thing I would say is get help where you can in any way, shape or form. If it's not a therapist, if it's a dear friend who's empathic, if it's a hotline, if it's a group, if it's something that your community offers, you know, get help. And there's a couple of things I want to say about that. The worst traumas that people suffer and, you know, sometimes people are hurt in a hurricane or a car accident or whatever. But for our understanding, what I think we really want to know is the worst traumas people suffer are what happens to them from other human beings. Even if you're in a hurricane or a car accident, how people respond to you afterwards is going to either make or break how you cope with what happens to you. Yes. And so, If the worst pain that we suffer comes from, you know, some deficiency in human relations, some mistreatment, some discrimination, some abuse, then what we need to know is the best healing is at human hands. And I think in a lot of cultures, I don't know how it is in Australia, but I think in America, there's still a very strong message that you're supposed to be able to do it all yourself. You're supposed to, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't show your vulnerability, you know, be strong, put it in the past, move on. Whatever kind of things we say to each other that are simply not helpful and not really true. People don't just move on from massive trauma. They may bury it. They may cope even well. They may be a top executive in a company or making millions of dollars or look like they have a hundred friends, but they're suffering. Yep. Somewhere inside they're suffering and somewhere that comes out.
0: Well, you see that all the time, don't you? You see so many, and in the US particularly, because probably most of the famous movie stars and execs and celebs are mm-hmm. probably American. And when you hear the stories of suicide and addiction and abuse mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff, people that are wildly successful in what they do still right. haven't yet healed that pain that's happened at some point in their life.
1: Right. And so- then we're shocked when they commit suicide. Like that looks like they had it all. Yeah. But they didn't because they were really, really hurting. And, you know, there's an expression, hurt people, hurt people. And hurt people also hurt themselves. And some of the people who have hurt people the worst are some of the most hurting people. And I think we have to change our whole mindset around our criminal justice system around mental health. Because one of the things I didn't want to forget to say is when you said, what would you tell people who are suffering from some kind of abuse and they feel like they can't manage their symptoms, whether it's acting out or acting in or anxiety or depression or addiction or whatever it is. The one of the things that I think is so important for people to know is that it's not anything shameful about you that you're suffering or that you have symptoms or that this happened to you. I cannot tell you how many people I have worked with who have felt that the abuse was their fault, that they're a deficient human being, they're flawed, there's something just intrinsically wrong with them. And it's not true. We're all innocent, perfect human beings when we're born. And what we're suffering from is something that happened to us. It's not who we are. So I think one of the things that keeps people from asking for help is that they feel shame. Yeah you feel self-blame. And so, you know, it's part of our responsibility to each other to lift that trance off of each other.
0: No, I love that. And I wrote something down when you were talking before, because you said most abuse or trauma, the one that has the lasting effect is at the hands of someone else, but also healing requires other people. And so I wrote down the term, be a healer. And that means every one of us. Every single one of us can be a healer in our own lives by what we say to ourselves, but we can be a healer in the lives of others by how we encourage them, how we support them, how we love them unconditionally, how we have more empathy. And the empathy one's an interesting one, Phyllis. I'd love to hear your take on this because you look at someone that is the perpetrator of, say, sexual crime, sexual abuse, or whatever it is, and they get labeled monsters, inhuman, that kind of stuff. And obviously, there's no excuse for the behavior. We cannot ever excuse that kind of behavior. But isn't it worth us trying to empathize and understand why that person behaved that way? What kind of trauma have they endured in their life that would lead them to that kind of behavior? And I think that empathy piece is critical as well. Otherwise, we look at people, we can't forgive them. They're horrible, inhuman, they're a monster, but they're not, as you said, there's people just trying to live the life the best that they can based on what they've experienced.
1: I 100% agree with you. And I think until, you know, as a society, but we can all start here as individuals, like you say, because that is the place to start and society is made up of individuals anyway, until we really get that inside the perpetrator is also a victim who deserves help and who deserves empathy, we can't break the cycle of abuse. It won't be broken until we get that. And it seems paradoxical if someone has murdered someone to also want to have empathy for them. But I think we need to learn to live with that paradox, that we hold each other responsible, of course, and at the same time, exactly what you said, that we look deeply into what formed that psyche To want to murder someone or to be so bereft of their sense of belonging and being provided for in society that they're filled with rage or they feel so disconnected that they commit suicide and take other people out with them, which is what a lot of what we're seeing in mass murders where, you know, people kill random innocent people that they don't even know and then they kill themselves, So it's really a suicidal, homicidal mission. What creates that? No baby is born suicidal and homicidal. So, you know, one of my big commitments and one of the things I feel passionate about is, like I said in the beginning, we are so smart. We are so creative. We're such good explorers. We're such amazing inventors as human beings. Our brain capacity is like probably we don't even know the extent of what we could create with the brain capacity that we have. I say it this way, we've put all that brain power, all that creative ability and inventiveness toward better phones, bigger cars, faster, you know, airplane, you know, all the technologies, incredible computers, beautiful architecture, amazing art, agriculture. And if your car engine blows up, you're going to go to a mechanic, right? And you're going to get a better engine. And as a society, we want to know if that engine blew up, why did it blow up? And how can we create a better engine so we don't have car engines blowing up, right? Anything. We could take any example, except for the human psyche. When a person blows up, we say they're a bad person. Yep. And I feel like that's the cutting edge for humanity right now is that we take all that creative intelligence and skill and really do a deep dive into our psyche and heal ourselves the way we would want to heal cancer.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Phyllis, we're going to have another break and we're going to come back and we're going to start just maybe planting some seeds and some ideas to help where we can start being creative (laughs) around enhancing the psyche of the wonderful human race. be back
1: hi my name is Phyllis Levitt I'm an author and a psychotherapist and I just wrote a new book called America in therapy a new approach to hope and healing for a nation in crisis the focus of this book is to bring our collective mental health into national awareness so that we can heal the roots of violence and divisiveness and bring the best healing principles that we know from the world of psychology to national conversation and national implementation
0: Oh, Phyllis, what a task ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How many billion people are on the planet? Are We're over 8 billion now or 9 billion, are we? I don't know. It's a rapidly expanding number for sure. In fact, there's a website, I can't remember what it's called, where you can actually see the population real time and you can see the growth. It's mind-blowing to sit there and watch the numbers go as the births (laughs) around the world and the deaths, but still the growth is exponential. And I think we blasted through, I think it was 8 billion quite recently, and it's just growing. And what's growing? That's the question. What's growing? Yes, the population is growing, but what's the culture? What's the attitude? What's the psyche that's growing? That's, that's nice. the thing we're talking about, isn't it? So our task is large, but it's noble. So how do we together start this? If we're sitting here going, okay, well, I want to do something. A, I want to heal my own life but I'd like to see healing in my community, in my town, in my country, in the world. What are some simple ideas for people, Phyllis?
1: Yeah. Well, I talk about some really big ideas in my book, but I also talk about some very specific things. And so I'm going to look at some specifics with you right now. One of the things that I have learned as a psychotherapist, and I want to say, you know, I look at myself, like how am I behaving in my own life? Because I think at the bottom line is we have to look at how we are in our own relationships with the people around us and the things we do. How am I applying what I know, you know, what I know works. And I think we live in a culture that is very blame oriented. It's very other oriented. He's the bad guy. That way of seeing things is just wrong and bad and evil, and let's stamp that out. And so one of the things that we deal with in therapy all the time is the beauty of psychotherapy, and this is why I've taken this lens to look at larger configurations like government and community and businesses and things like that, is because psychotherapy is geared toward healing relationships. It's not geared toward arming one side against another. If you have a couple in therapy... You don't take sides. You don't pit one person against each other. Even if you think one person is acting out, you try to help them heal and come back into the relationship in a healthy way. And so one of the tools, and I talk about this, and I think it's a really powerful one that we don't embody at all in America, probably anywhere in the world, except maybe in isolated situations. When I was in graduate school, one of my instructors who was teaching a couples therapy class said... And I've never forgotten this. The couples who do the best in therapy and have the best outcome for their relationship are those people who focus on their own part in whatever's not working. And we're just so geared to focus on the other person and blame them and try to force them to be different or force them to see it our way. And of course, they feel the same way. So we're just in a tug of war. And that's what nations are in and races are in, just this tug of war that one is right and the other is wrong. And the whole basis of psychotherapy is, who could I be that would bring peace? Who could I be that would bring understanding? Who could I be that would bring some resolution and bring us back together? Because that's actually what we really all want in our own lives, right? So I came up with this formulation. I call it the six secrets of repairing relationship, because we all have ruptures in our relationships and countries, of course, have huge ruptures. Communities do, races do, genders do. And the six principles are really based on that one thing that this instructor said, So what does it mean? So these are the six principles that I outline and I go into detail and actually I'm going to have a PDF pretty soon on my website where you can see the details of these six secrets of repairing relationship. I'm not quite finished putting it together, but I will soon. So they are, the first one is restraint. We have to restrain our most destructive impulses whether it's shouting, calling names, threatening, or even if it's like you're talking and I go like that, rolling my eyes or I go, all of it. So the first one is restraint. And one of the reasons why it's so important, I mean, it's obvious when we give those examples why it's important, but the big picture of why it's important is because there's no safety if there's no restraint. And if there's no safety, there's no real communication because we're just going to be on our guard. We're going to be defended and we're kind of probably moved toward blame and defense, which is exactly what got us there in the first place. So the first one is restraint. The second one is self-reflection. Where am I coming from? What am I bringing to this conversation? Am I actually talking to you the way that I would like you to talk to me? Am I listening to you the way that I would like you to listen to me? Do I have a trigger that is going off in this? You know, what can I learn about myself? What can I see about myself? Maybe I just need to use a softer tone of voice because I'd like you to do that with me. So it's reflecting on our own behavior rather than staying so focused on what the other person is doing. And let me tell you, in the heat of the moment, in an intimate relationship or with somebody that you're really at odds with, these are really hard things to do. Because we're just automatic reacting machines, right? We interrupt, we try to talk over the other person, we try to force them to see our point of view, we think they're nuts, whatever we do, you know? So, And they're all blended together, these six things, but I kind of take them apart because I think it's important to identify them for our consciousness. The third one is, after reflection, is responsibility. How can I be responsible then for what I see? If I see that I'm really pushy with you, can I stop? Can I take responsibility? Can I even own that with you? You know, I see that in this conversation, I'm not really listening to you anymore. Or you remind me so much of my father right now, I'm really having a hard time. So I'm going to take a deep breath and really try to take my father's face off of yours, you know, or maybe it's something even bigger. Maybe I need to say, you know what, I think I need to go to therapy and work on my anger issues or I really do need to look at the kids differently and handle them differently at bedtime. So it can be anything, but it's a willingness to be responsible for my behavior. And these and like I said they blend together. So the next one, I call it rehabilitation. But it's rehabilitation of myself. <laughs> you know, not you me. So it could be, you know, maybe I need to go to anger management. Maybe I need to talk to somebody about my depression, or maybe I really need to make amends to you. And this is a big one because I think for most people, it's very hard to say, I'm sorry, that was my fault. We often say, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but you, you know, and that's not an apology. And I say this over and over again because it's so common for us to do that. Like, I'll take some responsibility, but I'm going to make sure you know what yours is, right? It doesn't heal anything.
0: It doesn't. The word but, it's one of those words, isn't it? As soon as you throw the word but halfway through a sentence, you effectively, you negate everything you said before.
1: Exactly, 100%. And you know, if you've been on the receiving end of that, it doesn't land. Nothing lands that the person said except the but, right? And then you're right back into either pushing them away or defending yourself or wanting to leave or whatever you're doing. So I think rehabilitating yourself, I think is a lot about making amends. And if you have ever had, I say this to people, if you have ever had the experience of someone just saying, I'm sorry, that was really on me and I'm sorry, I hurt you, or I'm sorry, I said that, or I'm sorry, I did that. It feels amazing. And if you've ever done that for someone you can see the whole emotional atmosphere between you change because they drop their defenses and they want to meet you there. And most likely, and I've had this experience a lot with my husband, if one of us does that, the other one's right there. You know, if I say, you know, I'm really sorry. I, my voice was raised and you know, I was pretty aggressive about that. He's right there. He's like, yeah. And I'm sorry that I did X. And that moves right into the fifth element, which is, I call it resolution. Then we're reaching some kind of resolution together. Sometimes the argument just disappears once we've actually listened to each other. You know, it's like it evaporates. Sometimes a really deep issue got uncovered and and there's something we need to do about it. That's okay. So we commit to some kind of resolution. We commit to a compromise or we commit to trying it one person's way or we commit to whatever we commit to with the best of intention to do it. And then the last one, which is really the result of the first five, is that we reconnect. You know, we care about each other again. And this is where people want to be. We just haven't learned how to get there. So we just keep our defenses up, or we walk away, or we wall off, or we enroll other people to hate you, you know.
0: That's amazing, Phyllis. They're wonderful. I love those six steps. And they're all in lots of detail in your book, correct?
1: There's a whole chapter on those six steps. And then I'm writing a PDF right now that's going to be on my website really soon that a person can just take and apply to their own life.
0: I love that. I think that's valuable. And I don't think I need to ask you anymore because I think what a wonderful place to start. I think those six steps, I think every one of us could look at a relationship in our life, whether it's romantic or family or work or colleagues or friendship or anything where we could apply those six steps. I think that's a wonderful thing. And then again, what that does is that you said it when you apologize to someone properly and then they apologize to you and then they feel validated, which means they're more likely to go and maybe, gee whiz, I've got this other relationship I really need to take responsibility for and da-da-da, bang, this is where the whole ripple effect starts to take place. Wonderful. I think
1: really true. Thank you for hearing that. Because you know, to me, I didn't grow up learning any of that. And I don't think most people do. I don't think most of us know that we alone could change a relationship. And there's people that we may not impact and we may have to walk away. Yep. But could we walk away in peace then?
0: Yep. Knowing that we've done everything we can to resolve. Right. Phyllis, tell us, where do we find you? Where do we buy your book? America in Therapy is the name of the book, and it's going to cover a lot of the stuff that Phyllis and I have discussed today. And it's interesting, Phyllis, when you first messaged me about being on my podcast, and you talked about your vision of healing America, and I'm thinking, well, what has that got to do with Australia or me or the podcast? And then when we spoke, I thought, wow, this is so relevant to everyone on the planet.
1: I'm so glad we
0: had this conversation. How do people find you, Phyllis?
1: Yeah. Please visit my website. It's www.phyllislevitt.com. And there's places where you can contact me if you want more information. Like I said, I'm going to have this PDF up soon. I have lots of podcast recordings on my website and I have lots of them on YouTube. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Look Um, at you
0: go. You are on it. (laughs) Phyllis, you're on it.
1: Oh, thank you. You kind of have to be if you really want To help, who wants to be a contribution? You know, we have to use the means that are available for us. And so, yeah, I would just love it if people contacted me. My book is available on any of the major websites for pre order right now. It'll be live in July of this year.
0: Wonderful. Well, fellas, thank you so much for the time you've spent with me and sharing so generously and wonderfully. And it's been a wonderful conversation. And I know this conversation has started a wave that's going to have a very, very positive effect on this world. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was a powerful conversation with Phyllis, wasn't it? I hope you got something incredible out of it. And those six steps that she listed right at the end of the podcast are useful. Very, very, very useful. In fact, as she was talking about them, I was thinking about a situation that I'm going through with a relationship right now and how useful those steps will be to help me. And I know they'll help every single person that listens. As I think everything that we discussed today will be useful, not just for your own personal life, but certainly your relationships and taking responsibility for making this world a better place. And I think we all have that responsibility to do that. If you'd like to reach out to Phyllis, please go to her website, phyllislevitt.com, where you can connect by her book. She will have a PDF there shortly. Reach out to her because she's doing great things in this world thanks for being with me this week. Another wonderful conversation with another amazing winner. And I will definitely be back next week to share more great news. Please listen, please share, please join me next week. My name's Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast.